This is uh, Robin Williams' first appearance on that um, on the Tonight Show. Um, he doesn't do many outside appearances. I think I saw him about three years ago. I think he was on uh, with Dick Cavett one night. As you know, he's the star, uh, star of the very successful Mork and Mindy show, which is uh, beginning its uh, fourth season on the air. I begin this Thursday. Would you welcome Robin Williams? People always think performers don't get nervous. Not at all, really. I don't. Oh God! <laughs> not really. Not at all. Not really. Not me. No way. Is there some reason you don't do Is it the fact that you get nervous? Do you Very do much many so. Shows? I, I suffer from severe dyslexia, too. Oh. I was the only child in my block on Halloween to go trick or trout. <laughs> here, go, oh, look, here comes that young Williams boy again. Better get some fish. <laughs> Good morning, Vietnam! Hey, this is not a test. This is rock and roll. Time to rock it from the Delta to the DMZ. Is that me or does that sound like an Elvis Presley movie? Viva Da Nang. Oh, Viva Da Nang. Hey, is it a little too early for being that loud? Hey, too late. It's 0600. What's the O stand for? Oh, my God, it's early. Speaking of early, how about that Cro-Magnon, Marty Drywood? Thank you, Marty, for silky smooth sound. Make me sound like Peggy Lee. Freddie and the Dreamers. Wrong speed. We've got it on the wrong speed. For those of you who are recovering from a hangover, that's going to sound just right. You are a very poor role model for these kids. You know that? I bet you don't even have a fourth grade reading level. Immortal suck navel. Well, maybe a fifth grade reading level. Boil dripping, beef fart snipping, bubble butt. Someone has a severe caca mouth. Do you know that? You are a fart factory. Slug slime, sack of rat guts and cat vomit. Cheesy scab-picked pimple-squeezing finger bandage. A week-old maggot burger with everything on it and flies on the side. Substitute chemistry teacher. Come on, Rufio, hit a mat. Mung tongue. Math tutor. Pinhead. Prison barber. Mother lover. Nearsighted gynecologist. In your face, camel cake. In your rear, cow derriere. Lion crying, spying, prying, ultra pig. You lewd, crude, rude, bag of pre chewed food, dude. If I'm a maggot burger, why don't you just eat me? You two-toned, zebra-headed, slime-coated, pimple-farming, paramecium brain, munching on your own mucus, suffering from Peter Pan envy. What's a paramecium brain? I'll tell you what a paramecium is. That's a paramecium. It's a one-celled critter with no brain that can't fly. Don't mess with me, man. I'm a lawyer. Any special skills? Oh, yes, I do. I, I do voices. What do you mean you do voices? Ben, I do voices. Yeah, yeah! We've come to this planet looking for intelligent life. Oops, we made a mistake. We're happy to be in America. Don't ask for a green card. Well, it's certainly a rough meeting, and it's not going very well for me, I'll tell you that. Hey, boss, give it a change. She's going to loosen up any moment. <laughs> Look at me right now, money penny. I want to undo that bow and get to know you. Don't make me smack you, sweetheart. I'll do it. <laughs> Mr. Hillard, do you consider yourself humorous? I used to. There was a time... When I found myself funny. But today, you have proven me wrong. Oh, you know, I read your book last night. Oh, so you're the one. <laughs> do you still uh, do you still counsel veterans? No, I don't. Why not? Well, I gave it up when my wife got sick. You ever wonder what your life would be like if you, uh, if you never met your wife? I wonder if I'd be better off without her. No, 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 I'm not saying, like, no. better off. I didn't mean it. Like, it's all right. It's an important question. 
Because you'll have bad times, but that'll always wake you up to the good stuff you weren't paying attention to. And you don't regret meeting your wife? Why? Because the pain I feel now? Oh, I got regrets, Will, but I don't regret a single day I spent with her. So when did you know, like, that she was the one for you? October 21st, 1975. For those game six of the World Series? Biggest game in Red Sox history? Yeah, sure. My friends and I had slept out on the sidewalk all night to get tickets. You got tickets? Day of the game, we're sitting in a bar waiting for the game to start, and in walks this girl. It was an amazing game, though. You know, bottom of the eighth, Carbo ties it up at 6-6. It went to 12. Bottom of the 12th, in stepped Carlton Fisk. Old Pudge. Steps up to the plate. You know, he's got that weird stand. Yeah, yeah. And then he clocks it, you know. High, high ball on the left field line. 35,000 people on their feet, yelling at the ball. But that's not because Fisk, he's waving at the ball like a madman. Yeah, get over, get over, get over. And then it hits a foul pole. And 35,000 fans, you know, they charge the field, you know. Yeah. Did you rush the field? Uh, no, I didn't rush the field. I wasn't there. What? No, I was in a bar having a drink with my future wife. You missed Pudge Fist's home run? Oh, yeah. I don't care if Helen and Troy walks into the room. That's game six. Oh, my God. And who are these friends of yours? They let you get away with that? They had to. What did you say to him? I just slid my ticket across the table and I said, Sorry, guys, I gotta see about a girl. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta go see about a girl? Yeah. That's what you said? I had. And they let you get away with that? Oh, yeah, they saw in my eyes that I meant it. You're kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you, Will. That's why I'm not talking right now about some girl I saw at about 20 years ago and how I always regretted not going over and talking to her. I don't regret the 18 years I was married to Nancy. I don't regret the six years I had to give up counseling when she got sick. And I don't regret the last years when she got really sick. And I sure as hell don't regret missing a damn game. That's regret. Wow. Would have been nice to catch that game, though. I didn't know Pudge was going to hit a home run. <laughs> and the Oscar goes to... Robin Williams and Bill Oh, man. This might be the one time I'm speechless. Thank you, Ben and Matt. I still want to see some ID. And most of all, I want to I want to thank my father up there, the man who, uh, when I said I wanted to be an actor, he said, wonderful, just have a backup profession like welding. <laughs> thank you. God bless you. Ladies and gentlemen, make yourselves comfortable. I'm Kent Garrison. I am Brian Gill. I'm Richard Barden. And this is Mad About Movies. Da, 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 da. You sound insane. You realize that? Oh, yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Mad About Movies is your go-to movie podcast for all things concerning the world of cinema. We discuss movie news movie rumors there we go and those ever important movie rumblings then we break it on down for our chosen movie of the week don't worry we won't go in the spoiler territory until we warn you and make sure you stick around for the end of the show for our weekly recommends also make sure you check out our website at madaboutmoviespodcast.com Brian, this week's chosen movie of the week is... This week we're going to be talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Who are you? Leonardo. Raphael. Donatello. Michelangelo. No matter the risk, you live, you fight. 
as brothers. Officially end of the blockbuster season, guys. Safe to say, right? And, may- and maybe humanity. <laughs> maybe, maybe humanity. Uh, so second, Michael Bay helmed project of the summer. Uh, the second number one project for Michael Bay of the summer. Brian and I, I know, are excited to discuss all things turtles. Any chance we get? Uh, That's right. We, we'll talk about the action figures for an hour if you guys want, and just yeah. email the show, and we'll work that out. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, Brian and I did our little throwback to the 1990 Ninja Turtles movie a, a few weeks ago. And, uh, the classic. The classic. And we're excited to talk about this one. Uh, I think a little bit compare it to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle properties of days past. And uh, see how this one holds up with those. So before we talk Ninja Turtles, we, uh, we do this podcast on Tuesdays. And uh, oftentimes we found out that uh, doing it on a Tuesday is the best day because things tend to happen the beginning of the week breaking news often happens in the movie related world uh sometimes it's news that you don't see coming sometimes uh studios just release release dates and things like that on monday morning so uh this time it was a uh, very unexpected news that that came down yesterday actually while i was in the screening of ninja turtles i had my phone on airplane mode and uh as soon as i left the theater turned it off so you could really so you can enjoy the artist actually actually so i could uh save phone battery so that I could get a ride home uh, because I don't want to be <laughs> stranded in the middle of California uh, with no phone. That wouldn't be good. So yeah, I, I turned off my phone on airplane mode and the first notification that popped up was from CNN. Uh, the news that one Robin Williams had passed away at the age of 63. So I think for this movie news rumors rumbling segment, guys, we should just spend uh, talking about Robin Williams, his influence on the world of cinema and uh, of course, our uh, our admiration for for his work. So, I'll start things off and just say a few things. When I thought about this, the first thing I thought of was, "Wow, what a career this guy had!" Here's somebody that literally reached the peak of every area that he did. <laughs> Anything he wanted to do, whether it was stand up comedy, uh, television comedy, film comedy, and film drama. He literally reached the peak of, of all those uh, in his career, and that's freaking incredible. I don't know if there's any other actor or you know movie star that we can say that about that's you know seriously done so much uh, for so many areas of entertainment. So that was just my immediate thoughts when he passed. It was just wow, what a what a life this guy lived, what an influence he was, and uh, of course we've poked fun at at the movies of his later you know his later days. But, I mean, you can't deny the run this guy had uh, for three decades, 70s, 80s, 90s. This guy was just maybe the arguably the, the biggest star in, in movies and in the world. So uh, I'll pass it off to Brian right now. Uh, give me your thoughts on on Sir Robin Williams. Yeah, you know, it was a... It was a strange... Obviously, it's, it, anytime somebody dies unexpectedly, it's, it's always a strange situation that you find yourself in, a strange phenomenon. Like, as you go through... That person, you know, especially if it's a obviously a celebrity or something like that, as you go through their legacy and the, the years and the the stuff that you've seen them do or heard them do or whatever, um, it, it's always like to me, it's always kind of surreal. Um, this one was particularly odd to me because I, you know, I read the news, I saw that my Twitter timeline just went nuts, and. Uh, you know, I had a couple of friends who were in the house with me at the time, and I said, whoa, Robin Williams died. And 
then we talked about it for a minute and then I don't know, we moved on to something else. And then an hour or two later, it came back up in conversation and we continued to kind of hash it out. Um, and by the end of the night, like it had really, I don't know, it had kind of, it was sticking with me more so than the average, um, celebrity death and even an important celebrity like this one. I, I sat down to write something, uh, about his career and, and some of the films that I, that I loved of his. And I really thought it was going to take me like 30 or 45 minutes to crank out 800 or so words and, and I'd be done with it. And I was still sitting there like three hours later, just really hashing through his legacy and, the films that not just the films, the the stand up as well, and and everything that he was a part of. His career was so varied, and he just uh, he could he was so versatile. He could do so many different things. I mean, obviously, it's 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 tough whenever anybody important in the you know in whatever capacity, which you know he's very very large for a long period of time, like you said, Kent, in the Hollywood industry and. It's tough to lose anybody like that, but this one hit me war- hit me harder than I I kind of ex- I, than I expected it would when I first saw the news. Robin Williams was a big part of my youth, and uh, anytime you lose a hero or or somebody who you know was just part of your formative years, uh, it's it's I think it's more difficult to handle than like James Gandolfini or Philip Seymour Hoffman personally. Um, so yeah, this is uh this was a this is a tough thing. Now I'm not I'm I'm not thrilled that we have to as as a movie podcast that we have to discuss the death of a a truly beloved person again, you know. Um it's right. it's been tough. Richard. This one it, it, I probably have maybe a different uh perspective on on uh on Williams than than Moe's. I I kind of discovered him at least through film later in life. For some reason, I didn't grow up with, with Robin Williams movies. I don't think it was a statement or that my family didn't care for him or anything. I just think maybe like another DVD was a dollar cheaper at the <laughs> DVD store. You know what I mean? Those movies just didn't make their way into my house. And so I never saw them. But I, 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 but I always saw William. I, I, we've documented this on the show. I was a weird kid and I was always watching talk shows and things at night. I loved Love talk shows my whole life, and so uh, you know I knew Williams just as kind of this mythical celebrity persona that was that was really funny. But I never really saw too many of his of his movies. I don't think I saw Mrs. Doubtfire until I was probably like thirteen or fourteen, mm. which would have been like ninety nine or two thousand. So that's kind. Of, and then and then I actually came to know Robin Williams in terms of film through more dramatic stuff. You know, I, sure. I you know Goodwill Hunting I saw pretty young and. Dead Poets, I think we watched in school, you know, a lot of different things and, and kind of knew him in that light. But he was just always so funny. And so when I was like 16, 17, I started getting really heavy in the stand-up and I kind of went through all the Carlin stuff and I went through all the Pryor stuff and I went through all the Steve Martin stuff and I went through anything I can get my Woody Allen, Mort Saul. I know there's a lot of big Mort Saul fans out there. But anyway, I went started going through all the stand-up and, uh, you know, you get to William's stuff and it was like, wow. He, you know, I used to like stay up all night listening to those al- those stand-up albums of his. You know, I wrote this. I mean, just, you know, it, it, when you find out someone uh, commits suicide and, and it's because of depression, you know, <laughs> you don't normally get the opportunity to say that, you know, everyone's the number one adjective for – uh, Robin Williams, his whole career was manic. 
and now you know he you find out he dies of depression. Manic depression <laughs> is kind of fitting, and right. and so it, it wasn't necessarily surprising in terms of logically. It's always very sad, but this was someone that was so I think so 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 brilliant in a variety of different ways, and oftentimes a brain like that will, will turn on you. And you know, obviously, he had his demons uh, throughout his life, but just such a sad story. But it's. Uh, you know, it's one of those things. It, it's terribly sad in terms of personally and the affection we all have towards him as a as a as a public figure. Uh, it, it isn't quite as upsetting in terms of just purely speaking career wise as you know, like the loss of Heath Ledger because you knew Heath Ledger had so much ahead of right. him. Sure. Um, you know, the the Robin Williams filmography, even though we would have loved to have ten, fifteen, twenty years more of it, you know, does feel complete. Sure. Even though he's only been gone a day, it's like you know I, that's an acceptable amount of of him I saw, and so uh, that part's not sad. But in terms of just the public figure, I, I you know I can't think of someone that has passed in the last few years that is anywhere as close as beloved as a public figure. So uh, yeah. it's definitely a, a big a big a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah, I I don't think I've seen. I mean, a lot of famous famous individuals have died in the past uh, five six years. Uh, Roger Ebert, Steve Jobs, like you said, Philip Seymour Hoffman was was a big one this past year. Um, but I don't think I've seen on my just my so- personal social media accounts, mm-hmm. uh, Facebook, Twitter, the amount of love for one human being. I just don't yeah. think it's happened in my and since I can remember in my lifetime. I, I told you guys last night I, I spent over thirty minutes just scrolling down my Facebook feed. And uh, by the end of the 30 minutes, uh, I was still seeing Robin Williams posts. Just everybody saying, tonight I'm going to watch my favorite Robin Williams movie. And everyone posting pictures of him and saying, you know, this is my favorite moment of his. I can't believe he's gone. And, and it's just incredible that, that, that I mean, and these are people of different walks of life. This isn't just yeah. my hipster, you know, sports friends or, you know, college people. This is moms, dads, grandparents, everybody. And it's just amazing to see the amount of influence he had over seriously decades of people. Another thing that I thought of is, has there been anybody that's just almost too talented? I mean, that was always William's sort of issue was how he didn't really know how to channel his talent. I mean, he was just flowing with comedy and and, and talent all the time. I mean, seriously, his his bit was see how many voices you can do in uh, in 10 seconds or something. Right. And they were always different and stuff. I mean, his his brain must have been going a thousand miles an right. hour and it's all just genius stuff coming out. I mean, the guy could probably stand up there and do stand up for two hours and not even have prepared anything, you know? Yep. It's just the type of guy he was. But I just can't think of anybody, uh, in Hollywood at least, that just had that amount of just flowing talent, like just gushing, like in every area, not just comedy or stand up or something, but drama, he could... He could he he could go with anybody. Yeah, uh, I mean, that. I can't. It's just amazing. He, there's a, f- a very few people um, that I think have that kind of just effusive, effusive talent. Uh, you, you know, you know who's kind of like that, and, and thankfully he he's uh, still alive and, and just barely is. Is Downey is like that? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, they're similar to me in that they're almost. <laughs> you know, their brain is is too is so quick that is detrimental to them often, and so. I, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, the analogy I always use, I said it to you guys yesterday is like, you know, if, if you put a, uh, I drive a 2008 Honda Civic. If, if you put a, a, uh, Ferrari engine in my 2008 Honda Civic, it would probably run really fast for a while, 
but it would break down a lot. <laughs> and that's how those brains kind of are. Like the brain is only supposed to be so active. And uh, there's not too many people like that in entertainment, obviously. But there's a lot of people like that. I mean, David Foster Wallace was like that. He's someone that committed suicide as well. Was like he had this very just loud brain, and it was so intelligent, it's almost never satisfied. And then, you know, it has to go find other things to do. And that's why you see mental illness is so much more highly prevalent. And you know, people with with a high IQ, you can certainly understand why. I mean, it's got to be maddening to have that level of perceptiveness all the time. Yeah, yeah. Just something that uh, I, I remember from one of our uh, American treasures, Jerry Seinfeld, used to say that back in the '70s, comedy was just a brotherhood back in mm-hmm. back in L.A. and everything. And he remembers the first time he went on uh, the Johnny Carson show, which was Jerry's, you know, seriously his coming out party. He was just the number one stand up after that. After Johnny gave him the old uh, thumbs up or whatever he did, uh, he he was standing there doing his jokes, and you just hear this. <laughs> in the audience because Robin was there <laughs> laughing at all his jokes and just supporting his buddy. You know, he wanted his, his friends to do good and, and stuff. So I just heard nothing but good things about Mr. Williams from, there's, from all there's, of Hollywood. There's a book on that entire jo- uh, generation of comedians called I'm Dying Up Here. Uh-huh. I forget the author, but maybe I'll make it that maybe recommend or something. But uh, it's it's about that whole generation of Seinfeld and Leno and Robin and uh, you know that whole generation of comics. You're right, that whole brotherhood they had because they were oftentimes performing at the same three or four clubs across the nation. And you know, as big as Robin Williams got, he never really abandoned that kind of feeling. It's really kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Brian, any thoughts? Yeah, you know, I, I wrote a piece. I wrote a small piece for my blog, and there's. Literally thousands of of eulogies, for lack of a better term, out there about him. One of the things that I I always admired about Williams, you know, the last decade plus of his career was not anything. I didn't. I I look back through his films, and I'm like, I don't know when the last time was that he was he did anything that I even kind of liked, which is you know, which is fine. But one of the things I really appreciated about him throughout his entire journey is he didn't ever. He never seemed like he really cared what anyone else thought. He just he wanted to make people laugh, and I think that was a big part of his his shtick. But I felt I always felt like with him, he would try things that other people would not try, and if it didn't work, then he did okay, whatever. And I always felt that in his stand up, Richard, you would know far better than me on that. But I, I think you that's part of like the stream of consciousness sort of joke telling that he would do is I'm just going to throw this out there. If it doesn't work, I don't really care because I'm going to move on to something different um, right afterwards. And I think that let him do such varied things uh, from, I mean, he changed the world of voiceovers and voice work with Aladdin. I mean, that no one has ever, uh, I think anybody who's acted in a Disney or Pixar or DreamWorks movie, since 1992, probably should be sending checks to to Robin Williams' estate. He, he did that. Mrs. Doubtfire is such a ridiculous concept, and I wrote on my blog, I didn't feel like there's anyone else could, who could have played that, who could have done that and made that a decent movie. Um, and, and it's turned out to be one of the more rewatchable movies of the last 20 years uh, and, and led him to places like Goodwill Hunting, which doesn't get made if Robin Williams is isn't involved, um, or at the very least doesn't get any kind of push without Robin Williams, um, and he ends up getting an Oscar for that, and then and and Dead Poet Society as well, which is my my favorite of his films and a movie that still 
I think is remarkably powerful um, 25 years later and, and, and much of that due to his performance. Um, but, but yeah, I, I love that. I admire that quality of just, I'm going to go out and try stuff. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. That's something that I think, I think most could be or would be or are um, significant actors in Hollywood and performers. I don't, I don't think that's a common trait. I don't think a lot of people have that. Truly remarkable. Uh, what, what, what's your favorite Robin Williams movie, Brian? Yeah, it's, it's Dead Poets Society. I, I listed five on my blog, and, and there's, there's several good ones to choose from. Um, I had not seen – I may have done a weekly recommend on Dead Poets Society recently, but I hadn't watched it in – maybe 10 years and uh until until very recent earlier this year and uh it 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 really i watched it a bunch cuz we you know we watched it in high school and i i think i had a business class where we rewatched it you know 10 or 20 times throughout the school year public education for you but um so i hadn't watched it in a really long time and i was just i was blown away by how great that film still is to me and 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 moreover, how great his performance is. It, it take, it's really easy to come out of a movie feeling inspired because that's what, that's what that kind of movie is going for, you know, is to, is to provide almost a false sense of, of inspiration. Um, I think it's very rare for a film to actually pull that off. And Dead Poet Society does that magnificently. But there's, I mean, there's a lot of great ones. I love Hook. I love Aladdin. I love Mrs. Doubtfire. His string of work from like from from Good Morning America, which I think was eighty seven, through ninety three, maybe ninety four, somewhere in that range, is you could stack that up against the best run that that any actor has ever had, and it it's a contender. I mean, it's a that's a yeah. strong run of movies. But what about you guys? What are your what are your favorites? Honestly, I grew up. I, I've mentioned multiple times on the show. I'm sure that one of the first like memories of me in a theater was seeing Hook uh, mm-hmm. right when it came out. So, I mean, I was immediately introduced to Robin Williams' screen career uh, from a young age. So, Hook was highly in- influential. Uh, oddly, like Jumanji. I remember yeah. very specifically seeing Jumanji and being really into that movie when it came out. Uh, pretty groundbreaking when it came to animatronics, CGI mm-hmm. stuff like that back in the day. So uh, those two stick out big. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire was a huge one in our household. Just, we would always put that on with the family was there and have a, have a good laugh over. Yeah. I mean, he's just so classic in that movie. Uh, I think that was the one on my, among my friends, the the one most people will remember him by was just his versatility in that. I mean, he played a woman for God's sake and, and got away with it. So I prefer Mrs. Featherbottom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Great bit. Uh, but I mean, as far as the other stuff, I really like uh, good morning Vietnam. That's, Mm. uh, under, I think underappreciated when you think of Robin Williams. I, I, I think goodwill hunting is probably my favorite, uh, performance of his, but I also really like one hour photo, Mm. which not a lot of people talk about, but I mean, what a performance that was too. Uh, yeah, just yeah. a really creepy performance, but still insomnia uh, too. Sure, yeah, exactly. But uh, Richard, what's your favorite moments of his? I guess I'm trying to think of you know top five favorites. I, I love Goodwill Hunting like you can. That's, that's probably the one I've seen the most. Um, uh, Aladdin as a kid was really big. I, I you know like I said I didn't see Mrs. Doubtfire until later. Jumanji. Jumanji. 
uh, was was one as a kid, but probably it's got to be hunting for me. The one I'm trying to think of anything recent. I, I kind of liked one hour photo too. I thought that was pretty effective and pretty creepy. Insomnia is probably the worst Christopher Nolan movie, but I mean, right? That's still, still a solid movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, still pretty solid. Yeah. Um, those those are a few of. My, I'm trying to think of. You know, Good Morning Vietnam was one my mom showed me when I was pretty young. Like she was really into that. Yeah. That movie meant a lot to her. Saw tons of Mork and Mindy when I was a kid too, because I didn't have cable and it was on like Channel 27. At uh, 2 a.m. or some weird time, I was probably awake. Gosh, I'm trying to think. Obviously, the crazy ones. I mean, I saw, <laughs> no. <laughs> now, yeah, there's, there, I mean, really just such a versatile career. I, I think only Tom Hanks could probably dare to compete with that sort of both length and breadth of work and, and kind of difference of that work. Yeah, I was going to say, um, uh, besides Tom Hanks, I think Robin Williams is probably the most probably the most influential actor of my youth uh mm-hmm. on screen uh, i think t- tom hanks is is more of this the guy next door type of guy and and you know williams is obviously the opposite of that guy that this the guy that's just bursting with originality uh, he, he he had a, a pretty good run the birdcage well he was a good performance yes, of his. that's that's what i meant to bring up that's a really incredible performance nathan lane as well but yeah like, both of them are insane in that he was also in um, Patch Adams. A lot of people, a lot of my friends uh, would would talk about that one. I don't remember seeing that one. It's been at least since it came out in uh, in ninety eight since I've seen it. Uh, he was also what in his later years, Death to Smoochie. Did you ever see that one? That's With, a uh, Dan, Edward Dan DeVito. Yeah, that's a De- Danny DeVito joint. Right. I think I saw that when I was yeah. pretty young, and it was like the first. I remember the first dark. I think it's pretty uh, underrated. Um, it, yeah. it didn't get a lot of. Uh, well, those uh, Bobcat Goldthwait movies yeah, that he yeah. did in the last few years were pretty highly regarded too. World's Greatest Dad is one. Um, you know these extraordinarily dark, 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 dark comedies. So no, that's 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 certainly. Yeah, gosh, his career is 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 insane. The 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 originality of it. There won't be another one. Yeah, yeah. and that's I think exactly the ultimate right. ultimate tribute to him, which is what we've joked about on the show, we're certain that. Parts were written specifically for him, and parts in movies and screenplays had to say Robin Williams does Robin Williams stuff, <laughs> right? Because it's yeah. just several times in his in his career, it's just oh, how could you even write that for him? That's just mm-hmm. him riffing on his own, doing his own thing. But that's incredible. Uh, but ultimately, the ultimate tribute, or I guess the ultimate thing to say about about Robin Williams is this is a guy who won an Oscar for drama. But he's best known for his comedic roles. Uh, I think that just sort of shows his versatility and just w- what kind of a human being uh, this guy was. Uh, just all around talent. That, that, uh, that's the, the greatest loss because you think all the charity things he did and, and all the USO tours and all the uh, – he was a very giving um, person and we could always use more people like that and like him. All the things he did for Christopher Reeve when Christopher Reeve was going through all that. Mm-hmm. All those uh, health problems. I mean, just a, uh, a Hall of Fame human being from all yeah. accounts, and one of the rare people where I, I can I can honestly say I all everyone that uh, is saying you know Robin Williams is the greatest human being uh, would have said it Sunday night too. Yeah, absolutely, and That's so percent correct. Yeah, and so uh, you know it's not one of those things with where we have some rose colored glasses or. You know, uh, people are bursting at the seams, and and have said for years what a what a great and and 
talented and, and more importantly, just kind and sweet person that he was. So, so that's a good feeling because he got to hear that in his life, you know, as well. Exactly. Any, um, any closing thoughts on, on Williams? I'll just say he'll be missed. Yeah. I, I, he was somebody that every time he showed up, I was kind of, I kind of, you know, my mood automatically brightened. Uh, he just had that effect on people. There, there will never be another Robin Williams. Absolutely, I'll say that. Uh, but that's that's sort of all I got on it. Any any closing thoughts on it? No, I think that's I think we that's about it. You know, that's yeah. that's that's the biggest loss I think in a lot of ways is is we're we're at an age now where we we start losing people that will never be able to. No one will ever be able to fill their shoes at all, and that's a that's yep. such a bummer, you know. Well, to close out, fellas, I just want to, and feel free to debate me on this, but I just want to inaugurate Robin Williams into the Mad About Movies Hall of American Treasures. Oh, absolutely! Uh, effective immediately. I'm embarrassed that he that we didn't uh, bring him up before. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was on the list. He seriously was on my list. Sure. Um, there's there's so many so many names uh to nominate but he would have eventually been on there within the next next couple um next couple mm-hmm. of nominations i'm i'm certain so as of tonight uh 100% american treasure who will be missed i i think this will be the most publicized you know funeral of all time or something i mean this is just going to be a huge deal uh when it's all said and done it's it's hard to believe he's gone uh, after even talking about it for 30 minutes it's it's pretty crazy hey what's up ma'am fam kent here And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy-glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter. Dot com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ziprecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. So that's all I have. And let's move on, guys. Let's talk about our movie of the week Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. 
so they're aliens. No, that's stupid. They're turtles. Is there anything else we should know about them? They're ninjas. I will let Brian Gill kick off this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles chat and be 100% honest because this might be a movie where uh, tempers flare. Uh, okay. You know what I'm saying? But so be 100% honest. What did you think of this? Um, so give sort of our listeners a little background of your love for the turtles. If you didn't listen to that throwback yeah. turtles episode, uh, just give us a little bit of your expectation for this and, and all that. So have at it. Yeah. Besides star Wars, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was my biggest thing <laughs> as a kid. I wa- loved the cartoon, collected all the action figures I had. I would hazard to guess, I think hundreds is probably safe on the action figure count. Um, loved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, loved the ninety, the nineteen ninety movie. Uh, we reviewed it recently, Kent and I did, and I still think it it holds up fairly well for what it was and what it is. Um, and but yeah, I, I had great, great love for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I was not looking forward to this movie at all because of many factors, beginning with Michael Bay, uh, continuing on to like they they really sullied the whole thing in my opinion by uh sending out all that information that they were going to turn them into aliens which then now in in hindsight looking at the you know after having seen the film that seems like it was just a publicity stunt um i don't know if that was ever really in consideration or not but regardless it infuriated me i i don't like uh messing with origin stories that don't need to be messed with yeah, so that that really infuriated me. It, it looked terrible, and uh, all that to say, I it is terrible. No, I, I don't. I did not care for this film at all, and I am, uh, I, I'm disappointed that because of how much I like the Ninja Turtles and how much I think it's a cool property. I think it's one that you can do something with. I'm not saying you can make an Oscar caliber film out of it or or whatever, but you could make it you could make a decent effort to try to do something that is uh, both enjoyable for kids and acceptable for those of us who grew up with this franchise. And uh, this is not it. I mean, this, this felt like it, it felt very, very lazy, which, you know, we should all expect from any film that has Michael Bay associated with it whatsoever. I know he didn't write direct this one, but his to me his fingerprints are all over it and uh and it's it's a real I can't say it's a disappointment because I was not expecting it to be good but uh it's a bummer that uh I, I just hate when people trample on properties that I feel like could be used for better things and then and this is not a better thing. Yeah. Richard, go ahead. Yeah, so unlike most of these kind of uh like uh Transformers and some other things that I had no experience with as a kid. Uh, Robin Williams, for example, um, Ninja Turtles, I was very, very into for a number of years. Obsessive. Mike Bryan had all the toys. Weird thing, though, and other people have this much better than me. I don't remember anything from my childhood. I don't know if I was like horribly beat up by some, you know, like a uh, stranger or something. But like everything I was really into during my childhood like, years, I just don't. I remember I remember being into it, but I don't remember a thing about it. So uh, I know I saw all three Ninja Turtle movies. I remember the third one had to do with time travel in Japan, right? Yes. 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 So that's what I remember from watching those movies 600 times. Like I don't know what happened to my memory before 10 years old, but it is no longer with me. 
probably, thankfully. So I, I kind of can go into these both as a fan of I, – I agree with Brian. I think it's kind of a fun property and uh, I think it could be done well. It's got a lot of humor to it, obviously. Uh, some kind of implicit irony. They're Ninja Turtles. This is funny because that's the most absurd thing that could you know that can be cashed in on at any point. Feel free because it is sort of absurd. Anytime you want, Mister Bay, cash in on the absurdity. <laughs> you know, I, I think I think you're totally right, Brian. I think it, it, it's never been done perfect well at all. Really, I mean those those original movies are kind of fun nostalgically, but they're not like good. Yeah, yet again, kind of like the animated movie a few years ago. Uh, this is this is pretty abysmal. Like I could deal with kind of the plot part of it. The story was fine. Just like if you're, it's going to be that lame of a story, you better have some really funny dialogue. And it was uh, like some of the worst I've ever seen. Like fourth grade, yeah, Scott Brothers film <laughs> level bad. Like just like really really pitiful attempts at whoever yeah. wrote this. So uh, that just kills any potential that it would have. Let me just say this. Um, Turtles looked terrible. Just to get that out of the way. I thought that the, um, the design, the nude Turtles, I think they look just... Surely Zack Snyder is on like some board of trustees. And like, <laughs> they need to be uh, ripped and they need to be veiny. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just... <laughs> Can you spray that one with some water? <laughs> you can do good. you can do a Ninja Turtles CGI movie without completely starting from scratch with the turtles. I think that a lot of a lot of the fanboys and stuff are most upset that they just completely negated uh, and abandoned every amount of birth that these characters had. I mean, uh, you know, they sort of have stayed the same for almost thirty years now, sure. and. This is just a complete departure from from everything that we've uh, come to know and love over our years. Um, but I just don't – and I, I talked about this in, in the throwback episode, but Richard, uh, you don't know this, but the, the 2012 cartoon series that started, uh, it currently airs on Nickelodeon. I, I watched a few episodes, probably six or seven of them before doing that episode and, and seeing this movie just to see what it was because I hadn't – I hadn't seen it. I'm under the impression, and, and most Turtle fanboys that would probably agree with me, that that's probably the best Turtles ever. Uh, it's it's fantastic. It re- really is. It really is great. Uh, it's 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 the perfect written Turtles. I just I don't know why they didn't get the the. I don't think they did, but Josh Applebaum is the writer of this of this movie, and he wrote something called October Road which was a drama on ABC about, you know, it lasted like six episodes or something. That was like the number one thing he had done Gosh. on his IMDb. So clearly not the same people that, that are in charge of the Nickelodeon uh, cartoon series, but that's just, it's so well-written. Uh, it's the voice acting is, is fantastic on it. It's got Jason Biggs, Sean Astin, and, uh, and the original guy that, that did Donatello, the guy that does uh, the voice of Pinky and Pinky in the Brain. I don't, I don't, I don't, don't recall his name, but and also the guy that does Michelangelo on their cartoon is is fantastic. So I don't know why they didn't just make a CGI version of that, uh, at least make them make it you know a live action movie, but with those same characters because I feel like those those are the turtles. The the latest TV iteration of the turtles is is really good, and this is just it's not that. I gotta admit though, it was not as bad. In my eye, as I thought it would be, the action, like purely on a 
on a visceral level, it wasn't nearly as appalling as I thought it would be. It wasn't as bad as um, G.I. Joe retaliation, in my opinion. It wasn't as bad as Transformers. It was way more watchable than than um, Age of Extinction, in my opinion. But uh, the acting is just is is awful. Yeah, I mean, Megan Megan Fox is horrible. She is she just nothing she says is she comes off factual. Does yes. that make sense? It, she, is she, she's not she, believable as a yeah, human being. Exactly. And so she can't – if you can't – if you cannot relate to whoever is on the screen, even as a bad actor, you cannot be an actor. And that's that's where we're at with her. You can't – you cannot watch her on screen and think, oh, that's a real person doing anything. Even if it's interacting with four giant mutant ninja turtles, like it, nothing that she does – can even be remotely believed as right. reality. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, that's that was my main complaint. I have in my notes here non-factual Fox because nothing <laughs> comes off as fact in this movie. Uh, you don't, you can't believe a word she says. Uh, she's great to look at. I will admit. I will admit that she's aged very well, especially after sure. popping two kids out. But I mean, she she can act, and that and I guess. Things like this is the only hope she has for an acting career, I guess. Will Arnett pulls everything he can out of this. Uh, it's not his dialogue's not funny at all, but uh, he has any attempt at humor is is all Arnett in this. Uh, he's just a charming individual, so I just I give him a lot of credit for even doing this. Uh, to be honest, uh, Taron Killam has an appearance here, Ugh. a little cameo, so random. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg. What what kind of a role do you write? You know that you say you know who would be great for this? Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> like yeah. when when's the last time a role like that has has come out? Um, just so random. Just kind of took me out of it when she showed up. I didn't know she was in this. Um, but I'm I'm speaking only on on a purely uh, flat scale here. I'll, just talking about the acting in general. It was bad. The the, the writing was bad. Uh, let me just get that out of the way. But uh, the turtles themselves was. Honestly, you know, I, I said I talked about Guardians, and I said uh, I was so familiar with the characters themselves that my level in, of anticipation was high, but um, my expectations were low. Same here. Um, I, this was what I expected. I mean, honestly, I think a lot of people have put the Turtles uh, on such a high pedestal in their mind. You know, they they grew up with the Turtles. Oh, those are the tur. I loved those when I was little, but they don't go back and watch the that stuff. You know, sure. like a lot of the stuff you can go back and look at and be like, "Wow, I I used to like that." You know, like it, that's right. that's really bad. Like when you're four, three, four, five years old, uh, a lot of stuff is good. So I mean, comparatively, this is probably more mainstream than all that stuff. I mean, I can't believe my parents even took me to see a lot of that turtle stuff when I was little. I mean, as an adult, there's some, you know, 30 year old adult. It's some of it's just almost unwatchable other than that first movie. But mm -hmm. this was ex exactly what I expected. It was just summer blockbuster, some decent action scenes, some really, really bad dialogue. And uh, that's about it uh, in my opinion. So that's, that's my general thoughts. We'll go into more spoiler specific um, stuff like that. But other than the acting and script, what was, what was your main issue? Brian? You know, when when it's just the turtles on screen and also when the turtles are fighting Splinter, no, excuse me, Shredder, 
it's it's bearable. It's C plus bearable. You know, I mean, I didn't I didn't necessarily have the urge to walk out. So that that's that was decent. Um, but anytime there's an actual human being on screen, yeah, it's it's horrible. It's horrible. It's not just acting, and it's not just script. It's it's laziness in filmmaking. Um, it's bad casting. You know, I'm kind of at the point where I have to accept that Will Arnett is incredible as Job and fun on talk shows and kind of worthless in every other area of life. I, you know, I, I, I agree with you to an extent, Ken. I think he was trying really hard, but in some ways that trying, made it desperately worse. Desperately trying. Yeah. 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 In some ways, though, that made it worse because it's it's just – it became desperation and that that hurt me as somebody who – loves the rest of development and loves Job and thinks I think Will Arnett is good, but the I don't know, the evidence is stacked up against him at this point because he's not done anything worth uh worth even mentioning. What in the world is Whoopi Goldberg doing in the movie? I don't I that makes no sense. Here but here's another thing that, that hasn't been mentioned. It's a real problem to me that this is PG thirteen. Yeah. And I don't okay, and I don't care that you're taking a kid's property and turning it into a more adult-oriented movie. We talked about that when we did our throwback episode for the Michael Keaton Batman. I'm totally fine with that. Um, but this is a kid's movie that, with one or two minor shifts, becomes a PG movie and therefore actually a kid's movie. And instead, it's like trying to have your cake and eat it too. You're passing you're passing off a kid's movie as something for adults. And I and it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. I knew we were in trouble when I sat down and I watched. I don't know. There's probably seven trailers before the movie, and it literally jumped back and forth between like Disney, Big Hero Six, Interstellar, um, the SpongeBob movie, an actual horror movie. Like they couldn't even decide what trailers to show before the before the movie. That's a problem. You don't if you don't have an identity. If your film does not have an identity. It's always going to miss both audiences. Brian, whatever, guess what whatever. They sh- guess what they showed uh, before my screening? What's that? Dumb and Dumber Two trailer. Yes, I got that too. Catheter. I got that too, and it's like, yeah. you can't. You that doesn't. You can't go both ways with that. Um, and I know there's plenty of people who would turn this debate into a PG into like about the MPAA and all that sort of stuff, and that's up for debate as well, and I totally get that, but that's a different argument. This could have easily been a PG movie with one or two very, very minor cuts, and then I think it gets graded on a different scale. If it's truly, truly geared towards kids, then it becomes a slightly different thing, but instead, they're trying to straddle the fence, and it doesn't work, and that I found myself getting angry with that as as we went, aside from all of the just abysmal scripting and horrible dialogue and and porous acting um you're you know some of the some of the action scenes are are enjoyable the beginning action scenes are not the shake camera and uh and all that stuff is is completely misplaced in a movie like this um and i and it's moving way too fast to really even see and i thought the creature design you mentioned it can't but i'll i'll second it the creature design as it were for turtles and the especially for splinter sucks it's it is it doesn't look good at all from a 
both as from a nostalgic standpoint of what I am used to the turtles as and just an actual, they look ridiculous and not in a good way sort of thing. And I found Splinter to be totally creepy. Like I couldn't, I really didn't even want to look at the screen when he was being featured because it was, it was, I don't know. It was, I don't know. It did something to me, but regardless, there's a lot of issues, but I think the biggest issue is why are you setting yourself up for failure by trying to, to be something that you are not? Yeah, I I got two nephews. One is 10 years old. One is about to turn three. They're in prime turtles mode right now. Mm-hmm. They, right. They, they live and breathe turtles. And my sister was just so upset that she couldn't take her kids to see this movie. Like she seriously posted like a Facebook monologue on what the crap, a Ninja Turtles movie that's PG-13. That makes no sense. I agree with that. There is some stuff, Brian, that, that can be taken out. Um, I, I remember a lot of inappropriateness in the first 1990s movie though in in that movie's defense but i think the mpaa has gone rather than becoming more tolerant of stuff they've just gone you know if it's the least bit offensive pg-13 it's crazy to think that uh if we become less tolerant of a society uh you know in 2014 but that's beside that's besides the point Yeah, exactly that's beside the, the any any major film, excuse me, any major studio release can pretty much get whatever rating they want if they really put their weight behind it. And to me, this the stuff that they added, I think there's portions that seem like we're going for a PG movie, and then as it progresses, you're like, ah, never mind, we'll just go for that PG thirteen. That's a problem. That makes that makes it to where you're you're missing on both camps. Right. I think I told you guys this. Uh, this past weekend, this movie was number one. It made sixty-five million dollars. Guardians was number two, uh, I believe, twenty-something million dollars in, in its second week. I think this could have been an eighty or ninety million dollar movie if it had been PG, in my mm-hmm. opinion. But I think the studio and Michael Bay and Jonathan Liebsman um, probably were like, "Well, we we want the we don't want say the people who grew up on Turtles to see a PG Turtles movie come out and say." That's probably going to be too kitty for me. I'm an adult now, you know. Right. So, so that PG-13 might seem more appealing to that crowd, but you eliminate everybody, every kid <laughs> that's under 13, which is probably the majority, vast majority of the 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 turtles fan base right now. So, right. you can't win uh, both ways with that. Uh, there is some stuff here that I wouldn't want my kids seeing. There's a lot of gunfire here, and that's. That's pretty bad. Richard, what was your main issue with it besides the the, the piss-poor uh, screenplay and everything? Megan Fox is totally ble- uh, beautiful enough to be famous. She's just not beautiful enough to be in movies. So we need to figure out <laughs> what we do with her. But in terms of uh, the rating, you're right. I, like, I mean, I don't really care. It's not like I have a stance about them being PG-13. Right. But they're just so close to PG. Like, why not? It's just more like a logic. Like, it just annoys me for... Not moral, but like logistical reasons. Like, why not just sure. go down another eight percent and BPG? Right. Why are you digging your heels in about this? It's a freaking Ninja Turtles movie. Do you not like money? Right. Yeah. Not, totally agree. Like, like you just like, like he had he had like a him and Bay had like a three million dollar bet, and was like, okay, you got to make this thing PG thirteen, you know. And the guy just had to hold to it no matter what. But uh, yeah, that's just it's more bizarre than than upsetting. Like, why totally. why bother? I understand if the MPA just kind of, you know, screws you over a little bit. You're like, okay, we got to make another cut and make a PG. But that's the kind of movie you totally do that for. Um, it's bizarre. Totally bizarre. 
no, the issues were, yeah, Arnett. I didn't like Arnett in this. I'm with you, Brian. At this point, it's just he's just got to be. He's just going to be Job, and that's going to be it. Unfortunately, well, that's okay. At least we get more Arrested Development now. By the uh, way, have you seen that show, The Millers, with JB Smoove and, yes. and him? And yeah. everyone I love on it. It's got Granny from Americans and him and JB Smoove, right? Yeah. All on there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's and it's atrocious. Yeah. Yeah. Is it awful? It's it's, it's it, so bad. I mean, it's it's it got the, renewed, right? Yeah, it did because it's it gets decent. Margot Martindale, that's her name. Yeah, there you go. But it's it's classic. Well, I've tried everything else. I might as well go do CBS sitcom and have security for the next five years. You know, yeah. I mean, it's which I can't. I totally don't fault him for. That's the way it goes. But um, it does play into the idea that we can't. We can't ever. We're at the point where we can't say, "Well, Arnett's in this; it'll be good." No, we, yeah. we can't do that anymore. It's it's pretty bad. Uh, let's talk about the turtles themselves before we get into the the plot issues here. Uh, my main complaint in in our review of the 1990 film was there's really zero zero character in that movie. All the characters except for Michelangelo, who all he does in that film is say pizza like 50 times. All he does is talk about pizza. That's how you know he's Michelangelo. Uh there's there's no identification of the characters. Raphael has like four different voices in the movie. That I don't think I mentioned in that episode, but he he talks like this, and then he talks like this. It was just so ADD on on his voice and everything. In this movie, uh, there's more development, but I think yeah. it was more physical than there than it was uh, personality wise. Like, yeah, okay, but they're so jacked, we're gonna man. we're gonna make Raphael twice as big. That's how you know he's the tough one. Yeah. It doesn't really do much more tough stuff than the other turtles. Um, I'm going to make Michelangelo talk like a street youth. That's how you know he's the black one. Oh, wait, wait. No, we don't know. We don't want that. No racism. Uh, ooh, uh, yeah. They, you know what? The actual first inspiration, this is really nerd status, but first inspiration <laughs> for Michelangelo was the street one. That was supposed to be <laughs> yeah. his, his thing. Uh, the, the first line of the first Turtles cartoon is chill out, homeboy, from yeah. one of the Turtles. So it was, it was sort of a street thing uh, to begin with, but... I agree. They, they didn't have to make it like it did. I'm just surprised he had a sh- puka shell necklace on and not bling bling. <laughs> Parties, dude. I could have sworn he had like a flavor flave clock around his neck in one of the pictures I saw before that it came out. But I'm glad it wasn't nearly that that bad. I think Donatello was probably the most established here. I did kind of enjoy that they gave him some technology to work with. I, I, that was my complaint with the '90s one is that. He doesn't really do anything uh, smart in the movie. He's just – he's sort of there and you just sort of have to know. I, I guess if you know the character beforehand, you would know that he's the smart one. But they did – I think the um, the the glasses with the tape on them was just a little too much for me. <laughs> uh, I was like, yeah. you don't have to go that far with it. We get we get the idea that this guy's a tech Put guru. Put that calculator down, Donatello. Yeah. Uh, I had a problem with some of the lines he said. Uh, I think – when <laughs> this is bad. When when Megan Fox goes up the goes up the ladder to like is it early, him, yeah, it's early. And she sees him on the roof, and they go, "What was that?" And then Donatello goes, "According to my calculations, yeah. it was yeah. a girl." <laughs> oh, that's bad. That's really bad. Um, but there's more character development here. Uh, we said Brian and and uh, when we talked previously that Leonardo is the hardest to do because it's just hard to write a leader role here. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Raphael, unless you, one, unless you cast Dirk. Uh, yeah. Hey. Leader of men. I think Raphael at one point 
in the movie says, all right, we'll follow your lead, Leonardo. And that's how you're supposed to know he's the leader. You know, it's just, it's so hard to, to do. Uh, Mikey's got to be the easiest one to write for. Just think of, you know, cat, kitty piano chopsticks videos, uh, references and <laughs> stuff yeah, that and cool be, kids do, man, right. you know, and just be mildly racist and just a yeah. little bit racist. Right. Yeah. But it, what did you think about the characters themselves? Uh, Brian, we'll start with you. You know, I thought that was one part of the film that is better than any of the, you know, the previous ones. They, they kind of did get that right of at least attempting to make each of those characters their own. Whereas I, you know, the first, the, the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the really the only one that has a personality, like you said, Kent, you've got Michelangelo talking about pizza and Raph is just kind of walking around being surly all the time. So that's, that's all you really get on that front. So that, I, I appreciate at least that's one small place within the film that they made effort to to create actual characters out of these characters, as it were. Yeah, Richard. Uh, yeah, I mean, for the you know, I didn't. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't see the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, where did uh, you stop? <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of the exact scene. It was pretty quickly though. I gave it about 40 minutes. I would say. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. I just felt like, you know, I started sitting there having an existential moment where it was like, what am I getting out of this? I'm not going to learn anything about this movie in the last 30 minutes. And it was pretty wise from what I can gather. Well, uh, you didn't stay till the end. It, it just took off at the end. It all oh. comes together in the third act. It's just, Darn. it comes I'll out of go, nowhere. It's not predictable I'll go again at all tomorrow. Either. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the end of it tomorrow. In terms of the actual tur- turtles. Yeah. I didn't, I had this weird, like the whole, uh, it was odd, you know, in the in the prelude leading up to this beautiful masterpiece, uh, the the being upset over them being aliens versus mutants, and I just couldn't understand why anyone would care. Didn't bother me at all. But then Rafi was bigger than the other ones, and that's <laughs> and that seemed to really bother me. That bothered me way more than the alien versus mutant thing. Like in terms of like how it's supposed to be. I like my turtles to be generic in size so uh that's probably uh, yeah i didn't care for that okay <laughs> let's let's start getting into the uh, that's it's exactly right I love that's it. the point i made um let's talk about the the ancillary characters here uh we have splinter and i guess splinter's tail is like the one of the oh. arms from doc ock in spider-man 2 it can just do whatever his mind wants and you can just throw people across the room with it hated that uh, this guy's a ninjutsu master. He's not like a tail whipping rodent. <laughs> uh, it just that just wasn't in his character at all. Yeah, I hated Splitter. Uh, Splitter's no sensei would whip people with his tail. That just doesn't. I don't understand that at all. Um, Splinter was bad. It, it was it was awkward to look at him because he looked too much like a mutant rat. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's one thing to be a mutant rat, but it's another thing to be Megan Fox like having a conversation. <laughs> to be Megan Fox having a conversation with a mutant rat, and, and uh, that was awkward. Get, why couldn't we get Baldwin for that part? <laughs> <laughs> it was clearly a white person doing the voice of Splinter. I Tony had a problem Shalhoub, with that, dude. too. Tony yeah, Shalhoub. Tony yeah. Shalhoub, that's what it was? Okay, yeah. yeah. I just No wonder I hated it. I hate Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> and I love Splinter, and I hated him in this movie. Man, I, I have every season of Monk on DVD, Richard. Well, I'm going to have to bar- you let you borrow those. No, I'm just I kidding. Just, I, really I like don't. to just watch the beginning of Men in Black. Ah, uh, yeah. It's I, just enjoy wa- I, watch, I just like watching him get his head blown off. Yeah. <laughs> Splinter was bad. Uh, Shredder was better 
uh, than Splinter, <laughs> but he was just way too jacked for the and, for one and, movie. And worthless, like so yeah. non-existent on, in the film. Like you almost should not have used uh, Shredder in that in this movie because it's like you could have. I don't know. You could have saved him for the inevitable sequel. I would think because. <laughs> He doesn't yeah, matter that's, within that's the That's how these things work, right? You save your best villain for the second movie. Yeah. I don't know where where they were going with this. Um William Fichtner, <laughs> who is in every every movie we've we figured out. He was supposed to be the original Shredder. He was supposed to play the Shredder originally, and uh there was obviously a huge backlash of that 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 Shredder was not Orokusaki. The uh, the oh, ancient yeah. the ancient um, you know ninjutsu master, and uh, so obviously they they forced him to be sort of an assistant to Shredder, and uh, that that was just that didn't work at all. It would have been just awkward for Fickner to be <laughs> to be Shredder. One of the things I didn't get the most was why is Oroku Saki. Uh, aka Shredder when he's not in costume speaking in fluent Japanese, but as soon as the Shredder, <laughs> the Shredder outfit comes on, he's speaking fluent English. Uh, yeah. Just don't. It has a, know it has that. a translator with oh, okay. the suit. Yeah. Figured of some Darth Vader voice changer. Yeah, that was thing. that was in the post credit. So. Oh, okay, I missed it. I didn't stay that far. <laughs> I'll admit, but it's just it, that made no it was sense. Weird when Samuel L. Jackson showed up. It was, it was <laughs> quite weird. So you know, there's obviously problems with this. First of all. The movie was supposed to be called Ninja Turtles. And uh, fanboys cried out, uh, no, that can't be the name. So uh, so they changed it to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because originally it was supposed to be an alien origin uh, of the turtles. Uh, are they, the toys that are released now, that are in stores now, just say Ninja Turtles on them because they made the toys before they could change the name to... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But so let's talk about this origin. This is probably the most controversial aspect of the movie as far as people that grew up on the Turtles and and people now. What did you think of of the origin? It wasn't a complete alien origin story, but they still sort of put that in there, uh, snuck that in there. Uh, for us. So, Brian, what did you think of the origin? I know you're passionate about this yeah, subject. Yeah, I hated it. I hated it. It was the... I don't, you know, look, if you want to mess with something that needs to be messed with, that's fine. But that doesn't need, that didn't need to be touched. I didn't care for the whole, I didn't care for any of the origin story. I hated the whole April O'Neil was, you know, had these turtles as pets when they were uh, babies. Uh, I didn't like that. You know what? Look, there's nothing, there's nothing at all believable about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I understand that, but in the original origin story, the the at least with the movie, the idea of Splinter is a rat in Japan who watches his his ninja master learn, you know, get better at being a ninja, and that's how he becomes a ninja master himself. In this one, he's just like, well, I found a book in a sewer. I'll be a master of of ninjutsu now. Like that's. I know there's nothing realistic about any of these sorts of movies, but that was a stupid change. I hated the origin story, truly. I, I really, really disliked it a lot. Yeah. My issue with it, I have an issue with the original origin story. It's, when you think about it, it's sort of dumb. Uh, the What? The, the Ninja <laughs> Turtles that are teenage? Yeah, no, think about it, though. The, they're, the, the one that people are passionate about is, so they find ooze in a they find ooze in a sewer and so splinter becomes a man slash rat 
because according to the ooze, if you touch the ooze, you automatically turn into the last person you touched or the last thing or organic thing that you touched. So the last thing that touched Splinter was a human. And uh, the last thing that touched the turtles was a human, I guess, even though it was Splinter. So why are they not like turtle rats? Why are they turtle humans? It just makes it's just it's just stupid. Uh, this is stupid as well. Um, yeah, it's just I don't I don't know why they had to put April O'Neil in the origin. And the fact that <laughs> she doesn't remember yes. this, she's clearly yes. like 13 years old <laughs> in that. How do you when you're 29? How do you not she's remember hot. something that that she's was already hot? That was. How do you not remember something that happened yeah. when you were 13? Yeah, like maybe the night that, that your ago. father died in a fire. You don't yeah. remember any of this stuff from that. Yeah, my favorite line in the whole movie, I texted Richard this during during the movie because I was not – I was totally texting during the movie. This was not one where I felt like I needed to preserve uh, the integrity of the film. got kicked out of the Alamo draft house. <laughs> yeah, but I t- she, at one point she, uh, she like runs home and she's like hanging out with her roommate who by the way is Abby Elliott, which knocks this down a grade just for being in the movie. Yeah. I hate her so much um but she said she's like mumbling to herself she's like leonardo donatello i know those names from somewhere leonardo Don- maybe from history i don't know like that's the stupidest line that you could possibly put in like there are so many better ways that you could write that that whole sequence even if you do have that sequence in the movie which is terrible like ugh, good good gracious it, it's bad it really is bad but it's no better than the original to me, as far as the technicality goes, there's no way to explain Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and have it make sense. There's just not. And I don't know if a 2014 audience would believe, oh, they found some ooze in a sewer. Now they're Ninja Turtles. They tried to give it some sort of, there were experiments in a lab. They, the lab, you know, somebody sabotaged the lab, and then they got lost. That's how they sort of ended up in a sewer. I see why they did that, but... Like you said, if you can't believe that and you can't believe the original, you're never going to believe it. So just keep the original. You don't have to change it up. I just you don't. Know, and I could have, I could kind of get behind or at least like, okay, that's fine it, with the, the lab experience and stuff. But the, the idea that April and bringing April O'Neil into yeah. that from an early was not only stupid, but like it, it doesn't make any sense, nor does it add anything to the movie. Um, I also really enjoyed how her father discovers that uh, that William Fitchner is a bad guy, and so she he sets the entire lab on fire. By the way, his daughter is like in the building somewhere, clearly. So great, yeah. great parenting there. That's wonderful, wonderful stuff. Let's talk about the antagonists here and their ultimate plan to take over the city. <laughs> This this is my biggest issue with the movie. Uh, their their plan was to spread a mutagen around the city, a mutagen that that obviously was only uh, capable if they captured the turtles, which they didn't know that the turtles existed halfway yeah. through the movie. So how could you have built this whole rig and be like, well, if the turtles ever show up, <laughs> we're gonna be good to go on this plan? You know, it just made no sense. At all, uh, it was so dumb. The last act was was really bad. It was the worst uh, part of the movie. the 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 beginning was bad. Uh, my the the shaky cam at the beginning was. You're right, Brian. And the first scene we see April O'Neil, it's just a guy running next to her with a camera. Clearly, clearly no steady cam or anything was used. And if, if, if Jonathan Liebsman, the director, I don't know if you've seen any of his other work, 
There's a movie called Battle of Los Angeles. I don't know if you ever yeah. saw that, Jim. That's yeah. that's the shakiest movie of all time. Honestly, <laughs> the it, it's unwatchable. You can't even uh, see a frame that's steady in that entire movie. But it gets better, I think. Uh, the steady uh, steadiness of the camera does. I think the the scene where we're introduced to the turtles, kind of the sort of subway scene at the beginning. That's sort of a homage to the original film. Sure. Uh, the the scene where they rescue April O'Neil from the Foot Clan, and you don't really see the turtles. You just sort of see their weapons fly by and everything like that. And there's also a subway fight scene in that movie. So they sort of killed uh, two birds with one stone with that scene. Uh, I was worried throughout the end of the movie that we would only get you know shaky cam action scenes. Uh, I was pretty impressed with the... With the two main action sequences in the film, one being Splinter fighting Shredder, the second being the like coming down the mountain uh, scene where they're all just flying uh, out of out of the the secret lair uh, towards the end. I, I think there was some cool little bits in those scenes, like when uh, when Donatello uses his bow staff to like flip the car. I think I that was it. you hated that. I hated it. I thought that I was. It. I thought that was. It's like, a Hummer, and he just flipped oh, a yeah. Hummer with this. It makes no sense. Piece of wood. It makes I no just... sense at all. But it was cool. It looked cool. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's a it Ninja Turtle cool. movie. Right. Come on. You're right. You're right. Uh, but I think there was some cool little bits there. Uh, there was. I mean, some of the meta stuff was funny. The are, are the aliens? No, that's stupid. They're Ninja Turtles. Like I, that was obviously added later. That was kind of just a poking fun at the fanboys. Um, but I mean, overall, this is uh, a letdown. I don't think we're ever going to get a Ninja Turtles movie that is going to appeal to every mass. Uh, it's just too polarizing of a property. I think, is that it? Like bat people are passionate about Batman, but I mean, you can at least ground Batman in some truth. You can't ground teenage mutant Ninja Turtles in any sort of reality. I think you, I think you could make a darker, grittier, Dark Knight-esque Ninja Turtles for adults, or you could make a, a one that appeals to kids and families. I don't think you can straddle the line and do both, which is what which is what this tried to do. To an extent, that's what the 90 version tried to do, but I think they were much more successful at kind of dumbing some of that down to where it was passable for adults and enjoyable for kids without being something that you know parents had to worry too much about but yeah i i'm with you ken i don't think you can do i don't think you can do this what they're trying to do successfully it's not i don't think it's possible i don't think you're going to get any kind of critical you're not going to get anywhere close to fresh and involve the the kid audience it's just it's not a property that can that can hit both marks you they've got to they've got to they're pretty much going to have to choose which one they want to do. Before we give grades here, I just have to say the worst line in the movie. <laughs> when when they decide to go through with the plan, uh, uh, Shredder and, and Fickner's character, I don't know, what was his name? It wasn't no Stark. It was something like Stark, which it really was upset like Stark. me. Yeah. Uh, Sax. Sax. There you go. There you go. They decide to go through with the plan, and then he says, time to take a bite out of the Big Apple. Ugh. Oh, Wow. How did that? Ugh, that was just that was really. I don't know if you were there for that, Richard, but no, God, no, I'm really bad. <laughs> my own, my last issue with the with the film, turtles are way too powerful. Yes, um, turtles can't freaking flip over train cars. Yes, uh, turtles can't just 
stand there and take bullet shots and be okay. That that's ridiculous. They have a shell, Kent. <laughs> I know they have a shell, but it's not a bulletproof shell that I know of. Maybe you they- ever sh- you ever shot a turtle? Yeah, I have. And they're not bulletproof, <laughs> let me tell you. You shot a turtle? Oh yeah. You're an animal. Tons of times. They have no chance of running away. Exactly. It was just ridiculous. It's just too much of a departure from the original. That's just my thought. It's just this is not Ninja Turtles. <laughs> this is uh some perversion of the Ninja Turtles. So let's give grades, guys. Brian Gill, grade. Uh I'm gonna go with just a straight D. The 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 scene in the elevator might have raised it a whole a whole letter grade. Like that that made me laugh. I enjoyed that that piece of work. That was my least favorite scene. I'm not, <laughs> not kidding. And I totally understand that. But I I just needed I needed something at that point to hold on to, and I didn't want to laugh, but I did, and so I kind of it's like the Conan, you know, where you like the audience like no. Like, yes, that's kind of where I went with it. Yeah. My favorite, actually funny moment was, we're going to find you. And he's like, he's going to do his Batman voice. I was like, because that was the first thing we heard from Raphael. I was like, are they seriously going to do a Batman voice? And then the (laughs) next line was, he's going to do his Batman voice. So I thought that was uh, a funny little moment. Richard, what's your grade? Uh, I'm going to go F plus. F plus. This gets a this gets a straight uh, C minus 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 uh, <laughs> almost D, uh, but I mean it was what I expected. I did not expect this to be good. When you when a when a trailer says a Michael Bay production, like what do you honestly expect out of this? <laughs> you know, uh, as much as I love the turtles, I just don't think live action wise we're going to get uh, a good turtles film. Um, so I'll tell the audience. As soon as this movie was number one last weekend, the studio uh, Paramount announced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, which comes out June 6, 2016. So just uh, a little less than two years from now, the, sh- the sequel comes out, which will easily be worse than this. There's no yeah. way it'll be better. There's just – there's no way. So this is probably the best this franchise is going to get uh, as far as this trilogy of films or however long it goes. So that's pretty sad news. Not a lot to look forward to. If you want good Ninja Turtle stuff, just watch the the new cartoon series. Seriously, it's it's uh, it's pretty good. So let's move on, guys. Let's talk uh, a quick weekly recommend. Weekly recommend. Who wants to go first? I can go. Okay. Uh, guys, this week I'm going to recommend a book I've been kind of peeking through. Uh, it's reasonably new. It's out this year. It's uh, on Penguin. Uh, it's called Poking a Dead, Dead Frog conversations with today's top uh, comedy writers and it's Mike Sachs who did a, a comedy writing book called and here's the kicker uh, but it's now this one is just all conversations with comedy writers and performers uh, and I'll list off a few here uh, James Downey who is an SNL writer forever James L. Brooks Mike Schur who does Parks sorry I'm losing my mic here here we go uh, let's see who else uh, Bill Hader Bruce Valanche, <laughs> Kay Cannon, sure. um, Patton Oswalt, Amy Poehler, uh, Bob Elliott, Dave Hill, George Saunders, Mark Marin. Uh, he's just going to talk about how he writes the first 15 minutes of his podcast. Um, <laughs> Stephen Merchant, uh, Mel Brooks, Anthony Gis- Giselnik, you know, people like that. And uh, a lot of, 
you know people uh, in comedy um, now and and before, and so it's uh, it's a pretty interesting little. It's kind of like pod, a podcast in book form, uh, but it's kind of uh, it's nice to relax and, and read something a little bit. So uh, it's interesting to see advice on writing. Uh, written as opposed to spoken. So uh, I definitely recommend it for anyone's interested in writing or, or writing comedy specifically or just likes good interviews. It's, it's, it's very well done. And it's called Poking the Dead Frog Conversations with Today's Top Comedy Writers. It's by Mike Sachs. Great. Was it not the same Sachs from uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Not, no, no relation. Okay. Just making sure. There is a, there, I'll, I'll recommend this week. I will recommend... Um, I'll recommend Goodwill Hunting. Uh, probably Williams' best, Robin Williams' best dramatic work. If you haven't seen Goodwill Hunting, it's a Academy Award uh, winning film uh, for best screenplay and best supporting actor for Robin Williams. Uh, best Picture nominee, uh, the 1997 year, the ni- 1998 Oscars. Ultimately lost to Titanic. Uh, Gus Van Sant, director, fantastic movie. Even better screenplay and even better performance by Mr. Williams, and obviously the the coming out party for Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. So, a really fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, this is the week to to do it. And uh, I hope everyone can can see it or has seen it that uh, is listening to this show. If there's one thing that from this week I want to get across is see that movie, appreciate Rob Williams' work, and uh, and go back and watch your favorite Rob Williams films this this week, Brian. Yeah, I totally. I, I would second that. Can't watch, watch Goodwill Hunting, watch Dead Poet Society, whatever your your favorite Robert Williams movie is. Uh, definitely dig into that. Uh, I'm gonna choose a, another film featuring someone we lost this year. Uh, I went to see a, a Most Wanted Man this last weekend. Had a few hours to kill in the morning, and uh, so went to see a John Leclerc movie uh, far too early in the in the morning, but. Uh, it features Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think it's his next to last performance. He's got that movie that uh, Slattery directed coming out later this year, like God's Hand or something, something like that. Anyway, it's one of his last films. Uh, it is written by the same guy who wrote like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is a phenomenal film and lots of great books as well. Uh, I don't think it's quite on the level of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, but it is absolutely – it's one of those films that puts on full display like how great Philip Seymour Hoffman was and I think really it's a very subtle, understated performance. It's a ma- massive slow burn. Uh, it's a thriller, not an action movie and it kind of – it just strings you along throughout the, the entirety of the film and never really explodes uh, into the sort of thing that we normally would get in a you know in an American action movie at least or thriller. Um, Rachel McAdams is in it, so I'm assuming there was some sort of time travel scene that was cut in post production. But <laughs> um, regardless, she she's one of my favorites, and she was really good she as well. She's very upset. Yes, yeah, she will never ever work with. Uh, I almost said, <laughs> I almost said she'll never work with Philip Seymour Hoffman again, and I I caught myself. So apologies for that joke. Uh, no, it, it's a, anyway. It's it's a really interesting film, and uh, this will probably the last be the last week that it's in theater. So you might want to check that out, or you know, when it hits DVDs or whatever, uh, get to get to that and and see uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman doing his thing. One of his, I think, one of his better performances, and that's saying something given how how great his filmography really is. Great, 
Great recommend. I really want to see that. I'm sure when I get home this weekend from California, I will. That's be the first movie I'll see. I'm sure. I'm really excited to see that. No, I, Philip Seymour Hoffman was one of my favorites. He's top five. I mean, just yeah, just fantastic at at what he did as well. Totally. So, Brian, where can I find your work on the internet? You can find my writing at CanBabiesDrinkRedBull.com, and you can find me on Twitter at bgill 12 Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on the Twitter at Richard Barden. Kent, where can I find you? Find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison, and find all of our episodes online on our website at MadAboutMoviesPodcast.com, as well as iTunes. And if you like what you hear, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on there. If you'd like to contact the show, hit up our website as well and click Contact, and that goes straight to us. And I do want to remind the listener... Next week is the Mad About Movies 100th episode. Woo! So we're going to do something special for you guys for our 100th episode. We're really excited about it. We haven't exactly decided what we uh, want to do yet, but we have some ideas floating that are that are fantastic. I'm sure now you see me, MacGruber combined podcast. <laughs> that would be that would be great. Uh, but we do have something that involves now you see me. That's up in the air. Something that involves MacGruber up in the air. So we will see. But it'll be spectacular, and if, I think we're going to do a regular episode next week in which we talk about our favorite films of all time, in addition to our special episode. So look forward to that next week. Thank everybody who has you know stuck by us for what, 100 episodes now. That's, that's crazy. Uh, we get several messages of people that say they've listened to all of our episodes, so that means a lot to us. Please keep doing that. Support us. Tell, tell your friends about us if you like what we do. Leave great reviews. Email us. Just say hey to us. We want to know you're out there. We do get get some love, but uh, not near enough love because uh, we need more love. Uh, the world needs yeah. more love. Uh, but on that note, guys, until next time, until next week, we will see you Ken single, ladies. at the cinema. I am single. Goodbye. Bye! Cause